the nature of the sell-off is due to rising rates. And we have rising rates partially due to economic growth, partially due to inflation as well. So you want some cyclicality in your portfolio. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Recent equity market volatility continued this week, as did uncertainty around looming interest rate hikes. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, along with your host Mark Rays, discuss buying on megatrend dips and other sectors to consider in this turbulent environment. They also look at the recent performance of low-volatility ETFs, provide insight into responsible investing, and explore the benefits of tax-efficient bond ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host today, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. For today's call, we're joined by two portfolio managers. Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee. Thanks to both of you for making the time today. Thanks, Mark. All right, thanks. Well, let's get right into things here. Lots to talk about this week. Looking at the charts and watching markets, certainly a lot of volatility right now. We've had a pretty sharp correction, but now looking at a few days of rallying, I see that only a few of the sectors are above their 50-day moving average. When you look at that, what sectors should one be thinking about as volatility really picks up, and how would you approach that using ETFs? Thanks. Yeah, so um, you know, definitely some sectors bouncing back at this point. I definitely like that you are breaking out the technicals, but you know, when you're looking at the sectors, I think you know the two sectors that we specifically like, and the one that we have highlighted on this call is banks and energy. So I know we've gone in depth over the last couple of calls, so. Um, don't want to reiterate or dig too deep into the points, but just to reiterate some of the high-level points specifically because you are bringing out the technicals. I think you know when you look at banks specifically, so ZEB, which is our equal weight Canadian banks ETF, you compare it to the 50-day moving average. Uh, when you look at the banks specifically broken out from the financial sector, uh, it never really dipped below that 50-day moving average. Even as the market sold off over the last month, uh, banks remained over you know, over their 50-day moving average. And, you know, looking at another momentum indicator, so looking at ZEB and the relative strength versus the broader financial sector, uh, it has been breaking out. So from a technical level, I think, you know, banks continue to look very good. Uh, But also when you look at the fundamental reasons for owning the banks right now, you know, they historically have performed very well in rising interest rate environments, inflationary environments. Uh, Banks tend to be very cyclical in nature as well. Um, so because banks, they are geared towards economic growth, demands for goods and services tend to grow with um, the economy. Fundamentally, you know, when you look at the valuation ratios, P ratios, for example, all look very attractive versus the broader market. And, and last but not least, you know, when you look at the dividend history of the banks, very good record of 
know, not only not cutting dividends, but also you know, every, raising their dividends every now, uh, every now and then as well. So BMO being a very good example of this, where they recently rose or raised their dividends. So this is a sector that we like, you know, ZEBs, which is our equal weight Canadian bank ETF. Easy way to get exposure to the big six Canadian banks. But, you know, on our product shelf, we also have the covered call Canadian banks, so owning the big six Canadian banks. And then what we're doing is we're also um, writing call options against these positions. So not only are you getting... Uh, the dividends from the underlying stocks, but you're also getting the premiums received from writing those call options as well. So just a note, uh, we also launched ZWB.U, which is the U.S. dollar version. So, you know, think of this as the exact same portfolio, um, but listed on TSX trading in U.S. dollars, which is a good option for a lot of, you know, snowbird investors that spend a lot of time in the U.S. Another sector, as I mentioned, is energy. Another sector that we've talked a lot about on this call, but you know, when you look at the reasons for owning energy right now, as I mentioned, you know, the the nature of the sell-off is due to rising rates, and we have rising rates because of you know partially due to economic growth, partially due to inflation as well. So you want some cyclicality in your portfolio, and I think energy you know provides that, and also provides you know oil specifically is a good hedge against inflation as well. But you know, when you look at some of the structural imbalances in the energy markets, so oil and gas specifically, I don't think those are going to be resolved anytime soon. So I know this morning OPEC just announced that they're going to increase their daily supply, so by 400 barrels a day uh, for the month of March. But keep in mind, you know, they've also fallen short of their target expectations or targets over the last several months as well. Um, so when I look at oil this morning, even on on the back of that news, oil prices are you know, trading higher, uh, just because I think they've fallen short of expectations as well. So keep in mind, you know, oil, the reason why we have these structural imbalances is because, you know, in the height of the pandemic, when the pandemic broke out, I think it was March and April of 2020, uh, when we essentially had negative oil prices, a lot of these oil producing nations essentially shut off production. And, and, you know, as uh, economy started opening up, demand came back on um, online much faster than anticipated. So a lot of these oil producing nations, even you know, the Middle East nations, are already running at full capacity. And not to mention you know, the Russia-Ukraine tensions that we talked about last week, which further removes supply from the market. So I think all of these should be very supportive for energy prices, oil and gas specifically. But ZEO, which is our equal weight oil and gas ETF, I think this is a good way to get exposure to the energy sector. But also because we're equalizing it, you're not overly exposed to any one company. One sector, if I could just quickly finish up, I think is a tech space. I think, you know, typically when you think of tech, it's not a, it's not a sector where you typically hide when, when interest rates are going up. It's, you know, the most interest rate sensitive uh, sector, arguably. But I think when you look at, you know, the performance of the tech sector over the last, you know, month or so, I think all the names have been sold indiscriminately over the past month. I think when you look at a lot of the cash-rich companies, so think of your Apples, think of your Google, Microsoft. I think, you know, if you're willing to look further out one year down the road, two years down the road, I think potentially you look back at this and as and may see this as a good buying opportunity for a lot of the you know, higher quality cash-rich technology companies. So, um, you know, I think the challenge here is separating, you know, the cash-rich high-quality names from the, you know, smaller cap, more debt burden technology companies. So, I think one way to, to play this is ZWT, which is our covered call technology ETF. 
Um, with this ETF, you're getting 30 larger cap U.S. technology names. Keep in mind, you're also getting exposure to MasterCard, Visa, the three names I mentioned before, so Apple, Google, Microsoft. But on top of that, you're also getting Amazon, NVIDIA, Adobe, Cisco, just to name a few more. But with this ETF, you know what we're doing in this ETF is Chris and his team are basically writing call options against these positions. So it's a good way to get exposure to those higher quality tech names, but also generate some yield through that call option writing process. But because technology is anticipated to see higher volatility over the next you know, five to six months, uh, that call option strategy is a good way to monetize that volatility. So um, you know, the three sectors I would look at is Canadian banks, uh, Canadian energy, and also the U.S. tech space as well. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. You asked, we delivered. BMO ETFs is excited to announce the launch of 10 new tickers featuring a range of solutions, providing innovation in fixed income, climate-focused equities, income innovation and asset allocation, and a new series providing choice of T6 payout and U.S. dollar income for greater flexibility in portfolio construction. For more information, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard, bmoetfs.ca. As a follow-up, how have BMO's low-volatility ETFs performed in January, considering the volatile interest rates and advisors' concerns about market participation uh, as, as this occurs? How do, low, how do moving interest rates impact the low-vol ETFs as they typically carry a higher weight in non-cyclical sectors? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, there's probably a couple of different points to address in there, but Let's start with the beginning of the question. Um, you know, how did low vol ETFs perform in January? And if we take a look at the scorecard here, we'll use the U.S. just kind of as the as the proxy here. So looking at our U.S. low vol strategy, ZLU, uh, and how that did relative to the broad market in the U.S. Um, if if we take a look at the complete month, you know, the S&P 500 was down in Canadian dollar terms a little over four percent, four point three percent, call it. Um, with ZLU down about 2.4% during that whole month. So a meaningful amount of protection in a down market. Um, that's what we've come to expect from low volatility ETFs. And, and that looks like that's what uh, ZLU achieved during the month of January as well. But I would argue, you know, just looking at that full month return doesn't really even do justice to how low vol performed throughout the month. Um, obviously, you know, markets were down even further, you know, a little bit before the end of the month, you know, S&P down over 8% um, in Canadian dollar terms um, towards the end of the month before this, this little bounce that we've seen. Um, and so, you know, low vol at that time down less than half of what the S&P was down during that sort of bottom of the market sell-off that we've seen so far. Add on to that, of course, the intraday volatility that we've seen that really has been historic and maybe we'll catch some people by surprise that might not have been paying attention, but on more than one day, you know, we saw moves intraday in, in the uh, stock markets of 4% or more. Um, you know, there was one day where the S&P 500 was down more than 4% at one point and ended up positive on the day. So if you just look at from a close to close perspective, it looks like really not much happened in the markets, mildly positive one day over the next. But when you consider the path that it took to get there, that 4% down intraday, these intraday volatility uh, moves that we're seeing, and again, not just on one day, but on multiple days throughout January, um, low vol really came through as you know, showing that characteristic, not being down 
moving 4% in a single day. And as an ETF structure, um, something that's priced um, intraday sort of continuously for investors to buy and or sell, we think that the low vol ETF itself proved very, very strong um, in the month of January and through this, again, historic volatility that we've seen not just intra-month, but intraday even. And then going to the second part of your question, certainly low vol strategies are known, you're correct, to say they are a bit more um, interest rate sensitive, if we put it that way. The, the sectors they tend to invest in tend to have a little bit more interest rate sensitivity attached to them. Sometimes when rates are moving, we do expect that to affect um, the low vol strategy itself as well. And I think what we saw throughout January is perhaps the first part of the month, the sell-off was related directly to those interest rate moves. And so, again, we did see some weakness in low vol um, overall. It didn't escape um, completely. But in the second half of the month, when the sell-off kind of accelerated, I think that was more about resetting of growth expectations or of the valuation of the growth part of the market, these, these long, longer-term growth stocks. Um, and some of them, Alfred alluded to, some of those large-cap tech names, but broad, more broadly as well. Um, and so that's part of the sell-off that Lowell didn't really participate in. Um, you know, again, it became a little bit less about, um, well, what's the rate on five-year uh, bonds right now versus, you know, what's the present value of this this stream, this growth stream, this future stream of, of revenues that these companies are going to hopefully provide. Um, and so the sell-off kind of added a second characteristic onto that. It wasn't just about the interest rate moves, but about the implications of the interest rate moves. And so low vol, a little bit less uh, affected by that, a little bit more insulated to the sell-off. So um, the other thing I think this probably raises a question to is not all low vol strategies um, are equal, right? And I referenced the return for, for ZLU during the month of January. But if you take a look at other ETFs and other strategies that provide access to what they call what's called U.S. low volatility or U.S. low vol equities, um, returns can differ meaningfully. And many of them, in fact, underperformed the broad benchmarks um, during the month of January. So I think this also reinforces the fact that portfolio construction and the methodology around which ETFs are built, uh, particularly low vol ETFs in this case, but other factors as well, is just as important as considering what factor to invest in. Okay, so if an investor decided before January, you know what, I think the market's getting too hot, I'm going to take a little bit of risk off the table and move into low volatility, um, you know, that might have been the right call. But then that investor might have chosen the wrong vehicle to do that. So again, bringing it back to portfolio construction, um, you know, we always reference this in our white papers and our documents about the methodologies of our of our ETFs that portfolio construction plays a role. It's not just about screening for running one screen about and then getting a list of stocks and investing in those stocks. It's about putting that together um, in a portfolio solution that minimizes um, external risks and risks that you might not be thinking about. One of those, of course, being interest rate sensitivity. So you can have sector caps um, that help to address that, but interest rates aren't a sector. And so you need to look at the portfolio level as well and make sure you're controlling risk sort of at all levels. Um, and so I think that's just something else that reinforces in, in January reinforce that, um, you know, take a look at what factors you want exposure to, but then also take a look at how these ETFs are built to provide exposure to that factor because that have, can have a big impact on returns as well. Right. Thanks for that, Chris. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk a bit of ESG here. 
BMO has been named to Corporate Knights 2022 uh, Global 100 Most Sustainable Corporations in the World, which I'm happy to say is the third year in the row. Now, when we look at something like that, we know that many companies are talking about and trying to set you know, a carbon neutral date. When you think about what companies are then doing, what are some of the ways index providers are, are tracking and, and building uh, exposures around these promises? As environmental events you know, are, are front and center in the media, certainly here in Canada, can you do, introduce our new climate ETF? ZGRN. Thanks. Yeah, and this is really becoming a big challenge for investors and for advisors who are investing on behalf of others as well. Um, you know, as you say, many, many companies, in, in, in addition to countries, we have companies um, announcing a, a carbon neutral date. You know, our goal is to be carbon neutral by 2040, for example, or by 2035. Various companies and in various industries around the world setting these dates. And as an investor or as an advisor, you may think that's great. I want exposure to these sort of stocks and these sort of companies that are addressing climate change and sort of getting out in front of it, so to speak, or addressing what their risks might be. Um, and that makes sense, not just from a ESG perspective or, you know, doing good for the environment perspective, but from a investment perspective as well. You want to invest in the companies that have the least amount of risk. Uh, associated with one of the, the largest transitions that, that's going to happen um, globally. Now, the question is, once you've decided you want exposure to those stocks, the question becomes, okay, well, which of these companies are actually setting credible mandates to do this? Which of these companies um, has a, a proper plan in place to, to become carbon neutral? And which of them is, is simply just making a PR announcement? So being able to discern between companies and between their path to net zero is already going to be one challenge. But then once we move down the road, three, five, 10 years, um, again, this transition is going to take place over decades. Once you move down the road, then you also have to measure, okay, well, what has the implementation been like? Um, are these companies, not only do they have a good plan to become carbon neutral, are they actually implementing that plan? And if they're not, what are they doing to address that? What are they, are they, are they changing anything along the way? And so investors and advisors are going to need help with this, right? And so looking at a company like MSCI and some of these other index providers that have huge amount of research resources into these areas is a great help for, for investors to invest in this area. And so you mentioned ZGRN, which is our new our climate ETF. Um, Z Green, of course, is, is uh, what, what we call it, is a global equity portfolio that tracks an MSCI Paris Climate Aligned Index or a Paris Aligned Climate Index. And what does that mean? Really, what MSCI is doing is, again, utilizing those research resources to determine which of these companies, um, based on you know, the plans they have in place, are actually aligned with the requirements of the Paris Agreement, um, being able to hit those benchmarks of keeping clim uh, uh, global warming to below two degrees Celsius and, and ideally at one and a half degrees. What companies are reducing their greenhouse gases? What companies have um, opportunities in the in the green the green energy space or any other climate transition spaces? So again, which companies are minimizing um, the risks associated with this? But again, which companies are actually creating opportunities with that and tilting the index and therefore tilting the portfolios that track those indices towards those companies that are becoming, um, I guess, most 
climate aware um, and addressing those risks and, and, and catch, catching those opportunities. So Zed Green, again, a great um, ETF, a great way for investors to not only invest in that climate change opportunity and, and feel good understanding that this investment is moving into the right area, but also because it's launched in concert again with MSCI and with that index provider that's doing the research and doing the due diligence behind the scenes in order to make sure that these companies are indeed um, do have viable plans to meet that net zero target, but then also again along the way are meeting all the benchmarks that um, that are needed to do so. Because again, most of these announcements are um, beyond I would say 2030, which is uh, not even 10 years away itself. Um, but most of them are, you know, 2035, 2040, 2050, and, and so on. And so you're going to need um, research along the way, not just, you know, today at the outset to, to screen for some names that are, that are on the right path, but we're going to need to make sure that these companies are doing it along the way as well and, and meeting all the benchmarks um, that are required to get to where we're going to need to go. So Zed Green offering investors a solution to do that. It's a global portfolio. It is an ACWI portfolio, which is all country world. Uh, which means developed markets and emerging markets put together um, into one solution that gives exposure for investors to this climate change opportunity. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And certainly getting uh, a number of inquiries in for, from advisors. So we're, we're excited about this ETF. I think uh, climate is certainly front and center here in Canada. And we've, we've seen the events that have been occurring over the last year. So for advisors having those conversations with their clients, uh, the GRN, a great solution to put in front of them to really address any uh, climate concerns and help them align their investments. Canada's ETF Economic Forum is live now. The BMO ETF team has begun streaming a limited three-part series where the best minds from all six major Canadian banks share comprehensive research and timely, actionable ideas to position your clients for the future. Register now at bmoetfsforum.com. And we'll switch gears again. We got a few comments in this week as the Globe and Mail ran a report on the weekend where they showed uh, the highest marginal tax rates per province, perhaps not the prettiest chart to look at. Uh, and we know there's no magic solution around this, but certainly this has people thinking about fixed income and and coupons on bonds, considering where yields still are in the market, regardless of the fact that they've come up a bit. So we did launch some other new ETFs that talk about taxation where the coupon essentially is in or around the yield of the portfolio. Uh, can you provide some insights on your two new discount bond ETFs? Thanks. So, you know, I'd say first and foremost, you know, for bonds, you should be holding them in a registered account. You know, that is the ideal solution where, um, you know, obviously because fixed income distributions, because they are, you know, taxes income, you know, compared to equities that are taxed at, you know, as dividends and at a lower rate, um, you know, the most optimal solution is you know, holding bonds in your registered account. But obviously, for you know, many different reasons, some investors may be forced to hold bonds outside of their registered account. So let's say, for example, if um, a very conservative investor, they own bonds that exceed the allowable limit that's allowed to be held in their registered accounts, obviously, some of these bonds would spill over into their non-registered accounts. So 
Um, you know, for these investors that have to hold bonds in, in non-reg accounts, uh, they may want to look at, you know, investments that are more tax efficient. Uh, the challenge with bonds, however, is that, you know, one, obviously, their tax is income, uh, but also, in addition to that, just given where interest rates have moved over the last, you know, five, 10 years, and, you know, the majority of bonds being issued over the last several years, they're issued with a coupon rate when the prevailing interest rate was much higher. So, you know, the challenge, not just with the Canadian market, but just bonds in general, like globally, uh, what you'll find is that the majority of bonds are trading at a, at a premium, given that, you know, interest rates have grinded to a lower uh, level at this point. So, you know, as you mentioned, even though interest rates have come up um, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, compared to where they were a couple of years ago, interest rates are still lower, uh, meaning that, you know, again, the majority of bonds are trading at a premium. So the challenge of that is that, you know, with bonds, uh, the way they're taxed is essentially you're taxed at your coupon rate when you essentially receive your yield to maturity. So say, for example, you own a bond with a coupon rate of 4% and the yield to maturity is only 2%, then you're taxed at a higher rate than the income you receive. So what we've done is we've launched um, even several years ago with our discount bond ETF. So the initial discount bond ETF that we launched, uh, ZDB, uh, what we're doing in this ETF is we're buying bonds uh, with the yield to maturity more in line with the coupon. So we, so due to that, they're going to be a lot more tax efficient. So, you know, think of ZDB as, you know, a broad-based aggregate bond ETF. It essentially tracks the, um, or it basically provides a very similar exposure to ZAG in terms of total return profile. It's going to be very different aggregate bond ETF exposure. Uh, we launched this in 2014, and there's been a lot of client demand just because they want a bond solution that is more tax efficient. But, you know, just last week, we launched two more um, discount bond ETFs just because there's been a lot of client demand in terms of you know, more tax efficient bond solutions. But recognizing that investors want more than just a, a broad-based aggregate bond exposure um, and allowing them to be more, you know, not only more tactical, but also, you know, pinpointing where they want to be in the fixed income market as well. So we launched Again, you know, two more discount bond ETFs, ZCDB, which is our corporate discount bond ETF. So this focuses on, you know, Canadian investment grade corporate bonds, maturity between one to 10 years. Um, so again, they are uh, investment grade Canadian corporate bond ETFs, but with a yield to maturity more in line with their coupon rate. Uh, in addition to that, we also launched ZSDB. So that's, this is our short-term discount bond ETF. Um, so this focuses on bonds that mature between one to five years, uh, government bonds, so both federal and provincial bonds, uh, but also investment-grade corporate bonds as well. Um, so again, you know, I think if you are a tax-conscious bond investor that's holding, you know, bond exposures outside of your registered accounts uh, for yourself or your clients, um, I think these are potentially solutions that you may want to look at. So ZDB uh, for the aggregate bond exposure, uh, ZD. CDB for the corporate discount bond exposure and ZSDB for the short-term uh, discount bond solution. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred, and some good information for those thinking about bonds, as you say, in taxable accounts. Looks like we've got time for one more question today. We've certainly got advisors asking about entry points to the market, watching the volatility in the market right now, and thinking about cash that they may have on the sidelines. If you, if you look at the most recent 
results the last few days where markets come back pretty strong. Is there something fundamental at play or is this just more of a volatility bounce? And can you tie that together with ZIN, our innovation ETF, where certainly advisors are thinking about it as a long-term investment, but of course, look to hold it and, and, and buy it more on, on the dips? Yeah, certainly, and I think um, you know there's there's been a lot of questions about these mega trends and those these innovation ETFs that INN you mentioned are broad sort of innovation ticker there. You know, I would I would say for investors with with cash on the sidelines, um, you know, this is what the cash is for, right? Um, you, you utilize that cash to um, to buy on dips, and I think if we take a look at the sell off in this sector specifically, you know, for investors that are interested in this sector. You know, you have to ask yourself, has the thesis around any of these changed? Has has anything really fundamentally changed about the story here? As you mentioned, most of these innovation-themed um, areas are very long-term focused in terms of the growth potential and, and the growth profile. Um, and we know that that growth doesn't happen in a straight line, right? There are ups and downs along the way. Um, and so I think, you know, the way to approach these sort of investments is a buy and hold strategy. You buy it, you hold it for the long term. And as an investor, if you do have cash on the sidelines um, and you're looking to put it to work, a, a 20% down is, is, the, is the great opportunity to do so. Again, if you still believe the thesis is unchanged and, and everything is really unchanged with the underlying story about what you're trying to invest in. Um, even with the bounce that you referenced over the last few days here, some of the um, innovation areas are still down 20% from where we, we were a year ago. Um, some are not, but they're, you know, 20% from their most recent highs, so to speak, right? Um, and so for those longer term, those real long term sort of investments, that's really how you have to approach it is you buy and hold, you hold it for the long term. Um, if you want to invest more along the way, you you buy on those dips. Uh, you buy on that 20% down. Um, again, assuming that uh, the thesis hasn't changed, the, that growth uh, potential is still intact, and that that story about that long-term mega trend is still there. And again, there's there's lots of them that underpins that INN. There's there's fintech, there's genomics, um, there's next-gen internet, and there's autonomous technology as well, right? So those are the four main areas. We have an ETF for each of those, um, and then ZINN provides exposure to all of those as well. So again, depending which one you're looking at, some of these are, are flat over the last year. Some of them are still down about 20% over the last year. Um, and so if you have cash to put to work, um, and this is the area you want to invest for long-term growth, you know those 20% down periods are, are the best time to do that. I think the balance that we've seen, um, there's really two different uh, things at play here. I think you have that large cap tech that really is cash generative um, that has sold off that maybe is now bouncing back based on fundamentals. And we've seen some really strong earnings come out recently. Um, and then you just see a bounce back as well in some of these longer term growth names that don't necessarily have as much revenue today as they, as they are expected to have in the future. And those are just bouncing a bit more just on uh, volatility. And so I think that actually gives a little bit of comfort that um, you know, this 20% down is not going to keep going down. It's not going to turn into a 30, 40, 50% down. Um, there's a little bit of checks and balances along the way. And, and I think having a little bit of a rally actually gives a little bit of um, comfort that, um, you know, the, the growth thesis around most of these names is still intact. Um, there's just been a 
repricing of what that growth is worth today in today's dollars and, and at today's valuation. So for investors that I think um, are looking for that long-term megatrend, I don't think anything's really changed with that thesis. And if there's cash on the sidelines, you know, that, those 20% down markets are, are really what's to use that cash for. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate those insights. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Once again, we really appreciate your time. Of course, thanks as well to both Chris and Alfred. Uh, some really uh, useful insights as we go back to our own days and our own conversations and try to make sense of what's going on with the markets. I do want to remind everyone that we are hosting our annual BMO ETF Economic Forum, uh, and that is streaming all month long. If you would like to register, please just reach out to your BMO ETF specialist. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time for joining us today and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about responsible investing, including the BMO MSCI ACWI Paris Aligned Climate Equity Index ETF, ZGRN, ZGREEN which invests in companies from developed and emerging markets with the aim to reduce exposure to transition and physical climate risks. Our experts also discussed an attractive opportunity for Snowbird investors, the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF ZWBU, which provides U.S. dollar diversified Canadian bank exposure while earning call option premiums. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.